Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Examiner Sports Podcast on the programme this week. End of days, Miguel Delaney on Traps Exit and the Hunt for a New Republic of Ireland manager and... Croke Park Queens Tracer Callaghan on the biggest day of the Camogie Championship season <whistles> just before noon on Wednesday morning uh, Giovanni Trapattoni and the FAI released a statement to say that uh, Trap's reign had come to an end not before time some might say and uh, I'm joined online by uh, Miguel Delaney to uh, discuss the happenings of the uh, the last week and the last number of years uh, Miguel first question um, surprised or not by the uh, by the happenings of the last 24 hours? Uh, maybe in the end, the swiftness of it. I mean, only in terms of the fact that we, we all know the details of the trap contract, why the FBI had been perhaps reluctant to uh, make such decisions in the past. So in that sense, it, um, I'm maybe surprised at how speedily they did it after last night's game. Uh, but in terms of the actual decision itself, I think it was inevitable. Now, in terms of... The happenings of the last week, as you said, yes, a certain air about uh, of inevitab- inevitability uh, about what was going to happen. But let's just go back and take the the, the trap era. How would you define it? Uh, well, I think ultimately he achieved his main objective. He, he was only the fifth qualification in our history, and in that sense, and I think in the longer view of his history, it will be seen as both literally and figuratively a uh, qualified success. But then, of course, all the qualifications other than actually reaching your 2012, which make it maybe, maybe a little bit more complicated at the moment. Um, I mean, first of all, that qualification was immediately offset by what was a genuinely humiliating Euro 2012. And um, I think it was forgivable to lose to all three teams given their quality. The manner of their defeats was pretty galling and pointed at maybe a manager and a regime that was already slightly past the sell-by date. I mean, I think, had he got that team to the 2010 World Cup, and as we all know, the unfortunate circumstances that surrounded that, it maybe would have given a better representation. Um, but as a consequence of the fact he stayed on maybe too long, couldn't really arrest the transition, despite the fact that there were some positive signs in March with the two draws against uh, Sweden, and even despite the late equaliser against Austria. But beyond that, I just it, I think it just went on too long. We should be coloured the initial success that it was. In terms of trap the man and trap the manager, you would have dealt with him obviously uh, numerous occasions over the last number of years. What's the impression that that he has left on you? 
Um, I think he's undeniably quite. Uh, what he's, he's obviously a very strong man. I mean, even throughout the uh, the impasse last year around the time of the Germany Faro games, where he, he pretty much played. Uh, he, he called the FAI's bluff, really, in terms of a try, <laughs> them arguably trying to oust him from his position. But um, uh, the one thing I always remember. I mean, despite the fact that I'm uh, almost 30 years of age, I, I look quite young. And any time I ask a question, he would pick up on this. And always, and always ask how old I was, or mention how young I looked. Now, I imagine that he, he, he did similar things to other journalists. So I imagine that's a bit of a, a disarming tactic from his point of view. The impression is uh, he was obviously just uh, a, a, a very savvy, a very experienced individual. Ultimately, I think it actually is an honour and a pleasure to work was such a legendary figure in the game. I mean, even though he was no longer the manager that accumulated such a TV from, say, 1977 to maybe around 1995, it was still in his background. Um, so, and, uh, in that sense, it was a privilege, I think, for Ireland to be managed by someone like that. Mm. In terms of the language difficulties, and this has been something that has has come to the fore in the last uh, week or two, and I think it was Mark Wilson, actually, that was making that point. Uh, again, from, from dealing with him in, in press conferences, I suppose we, the general public, only really see him on on TV. But in terms of face-to-face at press conference scenario, how how difficult was it from a media perspective? And, and equally, how difficult do you think it would have been from a player perspective? Well... The one thing I've always wondered is how much of this was um, a tactic. I mean, <laughs> because the one thing, and we, we even talking after the game on Friday after the piece, and there's a few pretty pointed questions, but he managed to not address those questions by just kind of pushing the issue by talking around them in this English guy. I mean, let's be honest, he always had Manuela by his side. He, it would have been much better for the media, um, and for and I'm sure, I'm sure for, for the players, perhaps, it, it was just the value of having Liam Brady there to go through an intermediary given it is but after a while it seemed like this was more than just his stubbornness in trying to learn the English himself because if I learned English at that level you would imagine it was perhaps in terms of the media maybe as a, a, a tactic with the players it could have been something else I think it's from what Manny has said it's undisputable that it was something of an issue but I remember you know, like it was about three years ago talking to one player I an interviewed him and talked him off the record afterwards. He said that actually, Travis only said surprisingly little, even in Italian in terms of how he approached it, and everything he did it was very simplistic, or every, 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 very boiled down. Um, so that, that wasn't necessarily a consequence of the language barrier. You mentioned the word stubbornness in there. Was that one of Trapp's biggest failings in terms of his his time in Ireland, that there was the trap script, and beyond that, nothing existed. Uh, yeah, well, my point of view, I think it goes back to what he said there about um, when he when he was a world class manager. I think his evolution as a manager stopped around maybe the mid nineties, uh, and he he all and as a consequence of that evolution, stopping his world view of football almost seemed to stop as well. I mean. We, we, all, we all remember the 2002 World Cup. It, it, it seemed like such a watershed now because after the expansion of the Champions League, it really marked the point where the club game completely took over. And it did start to affect the elite teams 
other than those elite teams like Spain and Germany who kind of implemented their own coaching infrastructures and approached things in a different way. Beyond that, though, like, international football was no longer the elusive level that it used to be in Trapezoni's prime. Yet I don't think he ever evolved with it. He thought the only way to tackle any team that had any technical superiority was purely just kind of, you know, this attempt to um, circle the wagons, bring it, bring it down to as much football as possible. And ultimately, that he has stubborn cost, but I think with a bit more nuance. Uh, and could maybe, I wouldn't say could have gone a bit further, but maybe could have given slightly better account of ourselves. I mean, the one my one lingering perception of this regime actually is there was always just a hint that there was a little bit more potential there. Certain performance is always kind of, you know, yes, you got, we got the results, or top point results, but there's always the performance that kind of there was something lacking. And then, of course, there's, there's that ultimate reference point from the regime as well, the Paris game. I mean, Travis only himself always pointed to what we're capable of. Mm. And the question is, why wasn't that repeated more often? But is it fair to say, Miguel, in a strange way, that qualifying for the Euros was actually the beginning of the end for him? That if we had had a heroic campaign and failed, we wouldn't have been in a situation where we got those hammerings from the likes of Italy, from Spain and from Croatia. Well, the one thing I've thought now, like this was now that you can kind of view the uh, the half years uh, on their own terms, or you know, people are more detached about them. I think initially his system, he was correct to play it because of the fact, basically all of his main players, Richard Doyle and Shea, given all the really influential players, were defensive or defensively positioned. So it made sense to kind of build a game on them. But for after 2010 and after the performance in Paris, a lot of them kind of went past their prime. And suddenly it became apparent maybe that, you know, we, it wasn't necessarily the best idea anymore to just be so reductive about how you play. And it was that, it was that Moscow end, as it has been presented, you know, one of the great miracles of, uh, of Trapp's time. It showed, it showed his value. But I think that was probably a point of the trouble. Because I'm, re- I'm really, that, that was a miracle in the, in the sense that we were very, very lucky not to get actually hammered by Russia in that game. Mm. And only for a supernatural performance from, from Richard Dunn, we would have been. But because of the way Russia unraveled us, that probably pointed to the fact of what was to come. That probably pointed to what was to come in the Euros and pointed to the fact that maybe he needed a bit more nuance and a bit more innovation by that point. Just to kind of make trust a few players or trust some different players more in a different way, just to add something to the game. I mean, even watching the match last night, the one thing that struck me, and I almost kind of like summed up the regime, we, all, we were always very good at working as a unit in defence, but Ireland were never very good at working as a unit in attack. It was also individualistic. It would involve you know, a winger might be running down the rings. So was there any sense that there was you know, patterns or uh, plans being worked on an attack in that sense? But again, how much of that is down to the manager and how much of that is down to you know individual players and especially attacking players who by their nature are going to be that bit more mm. selfish than their defensive brethren? But the one thing I think about as regards that, I mean, no matter how limited a time managers have with international football, and no matter how limited the players, that, that should not preclude the fact that you can that you can work on attacking situations. Um, you can, you mm. by, by virtually all accounts, from, from players, from private conversations, from even with things they said in public, it just seems the trouble only with concern, which is boiling it down to the most reductive type of football football possible. That he didn't really work at any at all. So in that sense, I do think. Lies with him there. Okay, the post match. But he just never. I mean, I, I, mean, I remember even thinking, it's rather beastly grammar around the time of the Estonia game, just before that. Tra- Trap's main concern when we, when we were going forward was 
not to lose possession. Or sorry, to be in a position to defend when we lost possession. We're, and that was almost kind of a paradox, right? Because, I mean, if you set it up like that, then you're inevitably going to lose possession. Whereas with a little bit more faith, a little bit more movement, not even that much, just a little bit, Ireland could have retained possession better and been a bit more proactive. But it was just it was the one thing I thought was lacking. And I think if he married a little bit more faith and a little bit more nuance with approach to go with his admirable defensive qualities, we could have achieved that, that, that hint of potential a little bit more. In terms of an argument made post-match on the RT panel, uh, Liam Brady and Eamon Dunphy getting a bit hot and heavy, but Brady made the point about expectation in this country and, you know, possibly being completely out of touch with what we actually have at our disposal. And he was going through the team in terms of Richard Dunn now playing championship, the fact that you have Robbie Keane playing his trade in America... Would would you go along with that? That you know, let's be honest. The Republic Republic of Ireland. Yes, we might have grand ambitions and grand hopes and grand dreams, but realistically, we are a tier or two below where many people think we should be. Well, first of all, I think Brady was actually a bit of a straw man arguing from Brady. I don't think anyone expects qualification. I think all people want is a team that has the best chance of winning out there and plays somewhere near its full potential, which I think Trump's only going to be doing in the first three years, we're going to be not doing in the second two years. Secondly, I don't know how you can how Brady can square his view of international football presence with the fact that a team like Slovenia qualified in 2010, a team like Iceland is currently in a playoff place. I, I firmly believe that international football has never been more fluid. That although, although inevitably the bigger teams will still win more often than not, it's, it's much more open than any point in the past. And I think this whole idea, other than teams like Spain and Italy, or sorry, Spain and Germany, I think this whole idea of even audience tears is a little bit outdated. That it, it, there's so many changes from campaign to campaign, and because even managers, their main concerns now with club games, they want to move into the club football. You very rarely see managers in their prime want to build projects in international football. Because of that, there's, there's so many changes all the time in international football, and it's much more in flux. And that's why I think teams like in Ireland can capitalise that more than before. Also, we don't want, you know, Brady's right in the sense we do have a limited group of players. So that doesn't mean we don't have a competitive group of players. So um, I, I wouldn't go along with Liam Brady as you have to say. Okay. Final question I'm going to ask you, Miguel, because the line is bad. Uh, FAI saying on Wednesday that they'll begin the process of appointing a successor to Trapattoni within the week. As far as you're concerned, what are the attributes they should be seeking and who is the man best placed to step in to the hot seat? Well, I think um, we all know uh, which way the wind's going at the moment. I think for so many reasons, it's a lot to be thinking up with Martin O'Neill. He's out of a job. He knows people that are friendly to kind of benefactors. Well, I think that's perfect in everything except the timing. So I think O'Neill, to a certain degree, represents kind of Trapattoni 2.0, that he's experienced it. An element of the fact that the game has passed him by and that he's maybe passed his death. And the one thing I would say in terms of the appointment, the last time when they appointed Trapattoni, it was extreme one way. It was extremely frustrating. But Trapattoni himself was a choice outside the box. And initially, the profile he offered, and which is something we hadn't considered, and the, and the savvy ad 
they restored our respectability. I think even if it takes a similar way, it'd be worth it if the FAI make another type of innovation. And I would maybe, I would be hopeful they almost think a little bit outside the box. I think someone like Randy Mullenstein could be a risk. But at the same time, he has technical qualities and technical approaches, which could actually, you know, add a little bit, a little bit more sophistication to the Irish approach and maybe just change the dynamics so it isn't the same old, same old. It might just give a bit of a three to one campaign. At the same time, I'm still, I can't see it happening at the moment. I, I would still imagine it's going to be Martin O'Neill. Um, and while I'd be open-minded about that and think he, he could well be suited to the demands of international football, he could get a new uh, energy himself. I'm just a little bit wary of what it represents or what it would represent. Mm. F- final question in, in 30 seconds or less. Has Trapp left the Republic of Ireland in a better place than he found it? Yes, he probably has, actually. I think by, by his own position and by the fact we've qualified so recently, it's not as dead-end a job as it was after, let's be honest, the chaos of the Stalin situation. But I think, yes, Trapp Tony has left it in place. Now, a piece of sporting history will be created in this year's Liberty Insurance All-Ireland Senior Camogie Final as Galway and Kilkenny face off for the first time in the Senior Decider and that's at Crow Park on Sunday. I'm joined on the line by uh, Trace O'Callaghan. Uh, Trace, so much excitement in the uh, All-Ireland Hurling Championship, the fact that you had Clare and Cork in the All-Ireland breaking the Kilkenny and uh, Tipperary stranglehold and there's a similar feel as well with the Camogie this weekend. Yeah, very much so, Colm, I suppose. At the outset, you know, Cork and Wexford would have been probably the expected teams. And and I suppose that was going more on tradition maybe than on form this year. But certainly um, Kilkenny and Galway are a novel um, finalist on Sunday. And as you said, like the, the first All-Ireland Camogie final was in 1932. So far in, in over 80 years, it's, it's hard to believe that we haven't had Kilkenny or Galway meeting in an All-Ireland final. And a, a bit like the hurling as well, two trays in that uh, Kilkenny, a very dominant force uh, once in in uh, Camogie and Galway so often the bridesmaids. Yeah, I mean, God, such contrasting stories coming into this All-Ireland. If we just have a look at Kilkenny, um, you know, surprise package, I suppose you would call them this year. But I mean, they're very much there on merit with the teams that they have knocked out because in, in their own Robin series, you know, they came up against all the form teams like um, Galway, Clare, Wexford. So, you know, they've knocked out. They've taken big scalps, I suppose, really, in getting to the final. And, of course, beating Cork in the semi-final, which was an absolutely absorbing, uh, tremendous game because about three or four times they had to come back each time Cork went ahead. So they've shown us what they're capable of and they have a lot of under-16 and minor All-Ireland titles won over the years and these seem to be coming to fruition now. Now their last All-Ireland title that they won was kind of the the year of the Downies back in 1994. So, you know, Kilkenny I'm sure will be thinking that it's time for them now Mm. to put that right. But of course, Galway on the other hand, you know, they've been there in, in 2008, 2010 and then in the 2011 finals I mean that's that's massive disappointment for any county to lose three finals in five years so you know they definitely have the hunger and the motivation and they do have the players so you know as I said at the start column the ingredients are there and like what we saw from Cork and Clare last Sunday Classic I think we'll have another this Sunday in the Camogie finals uh, um, a massive monkey off their backs for Galway, though the fact that they beat Wexford in mm. uh, in the semi final. Yeah. How uh, like is there a fear though that that could have been their All Ireland final? 
I don't think so because, um, you know, judging from the reaction of both teams in the All-Ireland semi-final that day in Thorless, I was watching um, the Cork Kilkenny aftermath and, you know, Kilkenny celebrated like it was an All-Ireland final. But Galway looked far more subdued and you could read from them. They knew well that... They'd, they'd been there before so many times and there was no wild celebrations. It was like, OK, we've won the semi-final. We've beaten Wexford. We've been trying to beat them for years. But, you know, they were realistic, Colin, because Wexford, it's been well documented by now. There were minus so many players this year for various reasons. Galway know that they beat a Wexford team that weren't as strong as years before. So they'll certainly be aware that, that there's still a lot of work to do. OK, has there been a lot of work done in uh, Kilkenny? You mentioned the under Age mm-hmm. and the uh, the minor titles and the like, you know, is is that just a great crop coming along, or the result mm-hmm. of a lot of work being done in an effort to, as you said, go back to the glory days of the Downies in the nineties? Well, I suppose it's a combination. Um, you know, they've won multiple All-Irelands at underage level. I was looking at the player profiles today in Kilkenny and one of their players, you know, she's won three All-Ireland under-16 titles and four All-Ireland minor titles. I mean, it's a bucket load of All-Ireland titles. So you would say, you know, that it has been coming. Now, they contested the 2009 All-Ireland final, but they lost to Cork. But I certainly felt that came too soon for them. But all these players now are, you know, four years old older and they're playing like you know older people and with a lot more experience so certainly they won't be overawed I think they might have been the last time they went to Crow Park and as well Colm they've, they've come in with new management this year and I think that has freshened things up as well you know they kind of lost their way maybe for a couple of years but certainly the combination this year of the new management and the youth that they have you know I think it's it's that's what's got them mm. to the All-Ireland Finals uh, We've discussed Camogie Finals on the podcast before Trace and I'm one thing I always mention to you as well is I think the structures that Camogie have in the championship are fantastic and maybe it is something that hurling and possibly football can, can look at. You have your provincial championship run off and then mm. you have a group system and you mm. progress then from that into the championship proper. Yes, I suppose I feel it's it's a more realistic one certainly for Camogie because, you know, you only have a limited amount of teams that are strong. And I suppose that's similar to, to the Hurling. You know, a lot of the traditional counties in Hurling and Camogie, they seem to be the similar um, counties. So, yeah, they play the provincials and then it goes into an All-Ireland series. And this year it was in two groups. And I suppose playing the round robin system, you get to play a lot more matches. And then there's um, playoff matches, there's quarterfinals. So there's, there's a lot of games. And, you know, that's what you want to see in Camogie. You want to see your team out there. You, you want to see the matches you want to see the other counties coming to play in your counties a home and away basis which I think is great for the game so it, yeah it, it has worked well and I suppose look here we are eight years later and we've thrown up a pairing that we haven't seen before so it must be working Who are the names to watch out for uh, at the weekend? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, when we look at the Kilkenny team, I suppose their half-back line were immense this year, and particularly against Cork. Um, you know, Leanne Finley, her dad is Liam Finley. Um, everybody would know Liam, who, who captained the Kilkenny hurling team. Um, Edwina Keane and Elaine Edward, that's their half-back line. And up front, there's a player that, you know, every everybody on Sunday will be looking out for, Katie Power. You know, she she ran wreck in the in the semi final against Cork. She scored one two, but it was just her presence of mind and the way she combined with Denise Gall. So there'd be a handful of players there on the the Kilkenny side of it. And 
I suppose looking to Galway, God, I mean, Galway are household names at this stage, but, you know, it's really no use to them because, they, you know, the fact that they haven't won. But one player who certainly would be driving them on is Trace Maher, their centre-back, um, you know, on Sunday. Neve Kilkenny at midfield. And up front, there's a new girl this year, and I have great time for her, Ailish O'Reilly. And she could be one player now that could come up trumps for Galway on Sunday. OK, very quickly, uh, it's not just the senior final on uh, Sunday. Uh, as I said, it's Camogie's... Uh, biggest day of the season you have the uh, intermediate and the junior finals as well and I suppose a mark of how strong Camogie is in Galway they're Mm -hmm. also in the intermediate decider and they're playing Limerick Yes, Galway were beaten finalists last year after replay. So they're back again, you know, this year, which is a great sign of a county. They have the same management. So I suppose the ideal scenario for Galway on Sunday would be to win the intermediate final, which is time for two o'clock, then come back out and have a go at the senior final. Um, Limerick, as you said, you know, they've been out of the limelight and they're back after a lot of years. And, you know, they want to get back senior. They used to be a senior team. And it's great. It's great for Munster Camogie as well now that you have so many teams competing um, so yeah that's one you know again that's going to be very close but I suppose you'd think with Limerick's first team up against Galway's second team that they just might have a slight edge there OK and Leash Kildare then in the junior final and that's going underway at uh, 12 o'clock in Croker yeah, that's kick-starting today. And I suppose the great thing about the Premier Junior Final is that there's always a new name there every year. You know, so, um, yeah, it'll be great to see Leash there. They're an up-and-coming team. I suppose they've heard more of the Harps club in Leash who've won a few All-Ireland Junior titles and they'll be well represented on Sunday. Kildare were there, you know... 20, well, 23 years ago I think they last won the All-Ireland Junior title and there's a lot of connections with mothers and daughters and stuff with that on Sunday um, so yeah again you know it's kind of the experience against the new kids on the block so you know it will it will make for a great start and just before I finish column I want to say that I was talking to both camps today in, in Galway and Kilkenny and I think it's a lovely touch that the GA boards there have kept Sunday free of hurling matches um, I know Kilkenny are playing theirs on Saturday night and, and Galway have, you know, are not playing anything on Sunday. And I think that's a lovely um, you know, show of respect to the girls and I know there's, it will be a boost to the girls in both counties. Perfect, Trace. Didn't know that. Yes, yes. I so, didn't know that. You know, I think you know, from, for a lot of the time, you know, we would have had counties where maybe hurling matches were going on. I know we had the case here in Cork a few years back where a girl was playing in Crow Park and her brother was playing in Parky Keeve in a hurling championship. I just think it's 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 very respectful and it's it's the way it should be because, you know, there's a lot of connections between Camogie and GA and particularly with the teams that are taken to the field on Sunday in Galway and in Kilkenny. And I just think it's 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 very respectful and they have to be admired for it. And that's it from the Irish Examiner Sports Podcast. Uh, thanks to our guests this week, Miguel Delaney and to Trezo Callahan. We're back again, same time, same place next week. And we'll have a special programme dedicated to the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship Fund. Hopefully, you'll be able to join us for that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.